Welcome to Foreman of Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, so when you were a kid, and I know you were kind of a, a, a fussy eater as a kid. I was. Mm-hmm. You know, refined palate at six and all that. No, sort of it's not that. <laughs> not at but, all. <laughs> no, but like but but like a lot of six year olds, like a Brussels sprout. No, oh golly no. Thank no. You. Good God, that would have right. made me cry at the table. Mm-hmm. The, the, the 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 broccoli, the boiled asparagus, any of that kind oh, of gosh, stuff. Oh gosh, no, no. Nope. What what was the thing on the plate? And actually the asparagus would have been out of a can. I never no. saw fresh asparagus, but yes, go ahead. What would the thing on the plate that w- what would get you through? I, I mean, I I love corn. I mean, I always did love corn, and I mean, I think it's just you know one of the most wonderful things in the world today. So, I, well, I mean, it, it it is the the that and wheat are the dominant grains of of the Americas, right? So, mm-hmm. the original ones. Um, it's funny. I was I had spent a, a moment in the hospital not long ago, mm-hmm. and. I had the the very restricted diet business going on. Always fun. And of the options, <laughs> which were maybe not completely exciting, mm-hmm. the one that that <laughs> I was happy about <laughs> was steamed corn. Oh, good. Well, and I knew it was going to have no salt, and it would have been frozen. And there was no butter. Not that you care, but I would have cared. No. Yeah. But I was just like, oh. Yeah, you're excited about that. Wow, there's just like a baseline of happy. <laughs> it's just a baseline of happy. So I thought, let, let's talk a little bit about corn. And we mm-hmm. get into our our second segment. We have a guest who is um, going to talk about much more evolved right. corn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, as far as a, a recipe and a food tradition. And super important in, in culture. In yeah. Arepas, Arenestein mm-hmm. uh, from Alma Cocina Latina, uh, where they do excellent Venezuelan food, mm-hmm. is going to come. And, and we can ask her about arepas in the tradition. Oh, and, I love them. And corn in that culture. But, mm-hmm. I mean, f- frankly, for you and I, it's just like uh, American kids growing up. And you were in, in the South and in the Midwest, and I was yeah. here. Yeah. Corn's a big deal. Yeah, very much so. Well, I mean, I can remember those those sun, summer dinners where my mom went down to the farmer's stand when we lived in Indiana, and um, it was just down the road. And she would buy a bushel of corn, and we would you know, we she would boil it, and that was how she prepared it. And we, you know, had those yellow things that you stuck on the ends of the cob. <laughs> <laughs> and she even had a, a special tray for the butter, and you could like roll the corn and the butter thing. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, so much fun! As a kid, I used to love those little yellow things, and it was just always so fun because we weren't allowed to eat with our hands. <laughs> there are no names for those things, are there? Oh, I don't know, like corn, corn stickers. stickers? Yeah, <laughs> and, and and they're shaped like little corn corn things. Corn I want some right. Right now, Ears, yeah. I wonder if you can still get those. They were so cute, but anyway, I I loved I loved that because, like I said, we weren't allowed to eat with our hands. So the idea that you could just sit there and you know sort of chomp on those couple ears of corn, whatever you were allowed to eat as much as you could. Mm-hmm. And she also, you know, again, I've I've only said like a million times that my parents are from Pennsylvania and that my mother and father both grew up on pe- traditional Pennsylvania Dutch cooking, and chicken corn soup is huge. And I was just going through some of the notes that I made. Uh, quite a while ago, I would say it was probably 15 years ago, um, where my mom and dad and I, I had started thinking about writing a cookbook, and I wanted to make sure I was really knowledgeable about our family history. And I was just rereading those uh, a couple days ago because I had kind of embarked on the book again. And, um, you know, my mom talked about how they would go down to the firehouse 
in York Anna. And that was where a lot of this, you know, that was their social center, basically. I mean, York Anna is a one street town. And um, and they would, all the ladies would make chicken corn soup. And that was one of the big events at the at the firehouse. Really good. I grew up on chicken corn soup. The other thing is you get to this time of the year and you start thinking about what's coming you know we, we we're we're in oh, winter for sure we're in winter and and it's you know you you just crossed into march mm-hmm. and when you're a kid they, they kind of they trick you <laughs> they play quote unquote spring sports <laughs> oh. in march i wondered how they tricked us okay yeah yeah and oh. they, they trick you okay and, okay and so but it's not really it's still winter right and so you but but <laughs> but you want all the spring stuff right yeah, yep but strawberries won't be here till may no, right. You know, asparagus won't really, the good stuff will not begin until like somewhere between the 20th and 25th of, of April. Mm-hmm. But we started getting some years ago, I recall, it seemed like every March, really good, you know, silver queen corn from Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this time of the year. That's right. Yeah. And so that that's the thing that kind of, Put it on my brain. I'm like, and wait. And it's so weird that we would wait. get that, but that's a different. But yeah, yeah, that's, it's such a different temperature zone, right? But yeah. it, it's different growing seasons, and mm-hmm. and genuinely not that far. Hopefully, and, they've had a good growing season this year. But yeah, that that should be starting to show up, and that would be fun. And so, so you start thinking about corn. So, just for fun, give me two botch-proof recipes: one simple, one complex, for really enjoying corn. Okay. Well, I love um, I love corn flan, so I think that's simple. Hopefully, that is simple. Um, I think we're going to put this in the complex category. Okay, all right. So then, how about chick? How, excuse me. How about corn soup? A simple corn soup, which to me, I mean, and I can add to it to make it more interesting. But um, to make a pureed corn soup, I do roast the corn in the husk in the oven for th- at three hundred and twenty-five degrees for about 35, 30 minutes. Um, 25, 30 minutes, set a timer for 15 and check it out, you know, just so you, it's a learning process. You leave the husk on, you do want to pull um, as much of the silk off because that can sometimes, you know, catch on fire. So you don't want that. Fire, fire is not great. <laughs> we need soup, to do that yeah. show again. <laughs> Kitchen disasters. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, just any excess pull off, but you, you're leaving the husk on and um, and uh, you don't even have to make them wet. I mean, it's 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 usually just moist enough that it just beautifully roasts in the oven and then you and then often it just yes steams <clears throat> itself in the oven it does and then the kind of super cool thing is is the silk typically sticks to the husk better so when you go to uh, after you've cooked it when you go to pull the husk off it really kind of pulls the silk most of the silk off which is a nice little thing and then cut it off the cob obviously never cut too close to the cob you don't want the cob attached to the corn that's not desirable um and um yeah and then so and meanwhile i'm while my my uh, corn is roasting i have onions and shallots gently sauteing in butter in a, in a soup pot stainless steel heavy bottom pot and um, once the corn is cool enough to handle uh, just cut it off the cob and um if when the onions and shallots are nice and tender, add cream. Uh, you can add chicken stock if you'd like to, a little bit. I wouldn't add much at all. So let's say you were going to do four cups of heavy cream. I would do maybe half a cup of chicken stock as well, just to give it a little bit of that flavor, salt and pepper, and add your corn. Cook it for about 10 more minutes, and that's it, puree and strain. And it's, oh my gosh, it's such a beautiful, and you don't want to cook that corn for a long time. It really alters the flavor. And you don't want to puree it? I, I said puree and strain. Oh, yep, so what, yep. if you, what if you don't want to? Oh, well then, then. What if you want to feel the? Well, then corn that's carnals? fine. You can leave it. Just make sure your onion and shallot is diced beautifully, 
beautifully. That's the only thing. And um, you have to worry less about the onion and shallot if the shape of it, I usually just slice it you know, kind of thin uh, if I'm going to puree it. But if you, and then what I also do is I do corn chowder. So if you were going to do a soup with the corn hole, I love to add a little bit of brunoise, which is smallest of dice, of andouille sausage and tasso ham, um, and a little bit of bacon. And that is a lot of pork product, but it's also a, a lot of <laughs> pork product with a lot of different flavor. Who is surprised? <laughs> Who is surprised? And I, and I like to add right at the end after the soup is finished, I add whole grain mustard to that soup, and um, that that uh, uh, gray poupon is much more creamy, and um, that's what you want—not a really vinegary, you know, super seedy mustard seedy one, and that gives some balance to the soup because it is pretty rich at that point with the pork product and the cream, and um, that's it. Delicious! Oh my gosh, I love that soup. Well, you you love that soup. I love that soup. It's that's your, but your and, and that's cream finished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how long do you reduce the cream? Oh, not not at all, really. I put the cream in the pot. I what I do is I saute the 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 bacon in its own a little pot, little pans, and obviously I get rid of all that fat. I save it for something else. Um, but yeah, a small dice of the bacon, render it off, save the fat, uh, and then into the soup pot with the um, bacon, the Bruno Avandui sausage, the tasso ham. Let that work in a tiny bit of butter, and then add the cream, and then add the corn. And let it cook for like 10, 15 minutes. Salt. Actually, I never add salt to that soup. The the bacon product, the pork oh, product yeah, handles the, it. Yeah, you don't all need that stuff any. Is cured, so. Right. And I add a tiny bit of pepper. I don't add a lot because, again, those all three of those, well, two of those products are highly seasoned. And, um, yeah, add the corn and the cream and, you know, cook it and stir it and stay on the bottom of that pot because it will scorch or burn. Uh, so you should really be on low to medium heat, and that's it. Yeah, I love that soup. Mm-hmm. I, I always love that soup. Yeah, I recall the first time you made that at Georgia Browns. I think I had two bowls of it. <laughs> you did. Just I a, was really just a little rich. Yeah, I had just made it for just the first time rich. too. Yeah, yeah and you and great. you. Well, that was quite the compliment. I was thrilled that you liked it that much that you asked for another bowl. I'm like, oh, that's so great. I wish I had been able to go take a nap. <laughs> but I know for my for my daughters, their favorite thing I do when we do, do get corn, and it's been a long break between having it, is make polenta, just oh, fresh yes. milled polenta. Love it. Add some of the corn at at the very end. Mm-hmm. You know, have it just onions and and a little bit of garlic. Oh, really? And, oh, I like and, that. And and butter and mm-hmm. cut that corn from the cob. Kind of just sweat it in there for a little while. Let it all just get sweet and seasoned, and then fold in the fresh corn with the uh, polenta at the end. And that with a piece of salmon. Mm. Oh yeah. Very simply, Oof. Yeah, with yummy. any sort of relish or garnish that you want to, right? To put there, it may just be a little cherry tomato thing, or you know that. Yeah, that's one of the things I'm curious what Arena will talk about with the arepas, is what she likes to serve with them. I'm very curious about. Well, that. it's it's a neutral backdrop. That's one of the things about corn. Thinking about you're talking about the pureed soup. That, what do you garnish it with? It could be anything. Oh yeah. Yeah, you a know, lot of things. It could I be like a little it. spicy pickled shrimp. It could be uh, grilled green onions. It could be... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like jalapeno oil on top of that soup the, when it's just the corn. That leftover bacon fat that you talked about, mm-hmm. use that, uh, make some crouton. Yeah, that would be and, nice. Uh, and and that for, mm-hmm. you know, for garnish on there. So Yeah, that kind of soup really likes little little toasty stuff on it. Yeah, no question. Hmm. Um, how about the flan? So the flan um, and corn corn flan is a pretty elegant well, thing I, to do. I do use corn. I use polenta to make my corn flan, or you can use fresh corn. So let's use the fresh corn. 
Um, you put the cream in the pot and add the corn that's roasted, you know, off the cob. And uh, just let it cook for about five, six minutes on a low simmer and then puree and strain it. And I would strain it a second time. And um, that I add for one quart of cream, I do seven whole eggs and three yolks, unless the product is super thick, which corn will be. So I do six whole eggs uh, for this particular recipe and two yolks. And salt and pepper is very important in there. And um, put it into your ramekins, into a, a, we call them hotel pans, but some sort of a pan that can house the uh, ramekins and the water, hot water should go up halfway up the side of the ramekin. And you want to do this at very low temperature, low and slow on a flan. You do not want any uh, high heat. You don't want the surface of the flan to have any sort of bubbles in it at all, not even little tiny ones. And the way you achieve that is through gentle baking in a water bath. So I usually do about 280 degrees and it can take a while, Um, you know, maybe 25, 30 minutes, but just just watch it. What you can do to check it is um, just gently, you know, rattle the little ramekin mm-hmm. and see if it's solid or not. Give it a little, give it a little jiggle. Yep, but don't jiggle it too much because then you'll ruin the surface. So, don't do that. So tricky. Yep. And and when so when you make the corn flan, what do you like to serve it with? I love uh, the flan with lamb or braised pork, and and and, and honestly, I can see. You know, pork confit or a confit piece of lamb as well, uh, slow cooked in butter, immersed in butter process. But, you know, it just, you know, the pork does tend to have a lot of fat. So you could go in a different direction. Like you just said, salmon, it would be great with a piece of tuna grilled, medium rare too. I mean, that way you're going in a different direction. So it's not something that's so fatty. But gosh, I can just see a gorgeous piece of pork shoulder, you know, just a nice knuckle of it with a flan and then have some sort of bitter greens on the plate, maybe some uh, mustard greens sauteed in the bacon fat, which would be incredible. Um, Slow cooked collard greens would be really delicious with that, you know, beautiful piece of pork. It's funny. Slow cooked collard greens and a corn flan. That would be like a great Sunday dinner. You know, I'm a food fantasist. Mm-hmm. When I think about corn flan like that, the thing that popped into my head was the amazing crispy goat belly from Con Roca. Oh my gosh! From many years ago, one of the best things I've ever eaten. For sure. That would be. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Amazing that it had like a little, the little, the little vinegary shallot and uh, and tomato garnish to it, mm-hmm. like. That would be spectacular. Wow, yeah, what a great treat that was. That was a great dinner. Yeah, that was that that was before they were a three star, right? That yeah, was before. Yeah, that they was were two stars right, at that point. Right before. Yeah. Yep. And before it definitely became fantasy land having gone back there. Goat belly. That first that first meal was the best I ever had there. Oh, I'm glad I was there. That way those desserts were ridiculously I'll never forget when were oh. you the one that got the ashtray that looked yeah. like the cigar and the ashtray? Very, very talented guy. It, oh yeah, he's Jordy Roca. Brilliant. Anyway. Pastry, yeah. Right, would, off track. Instead of going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> let's um take a break, come back. We're gonna come back with Irena Stein from Alma Cocina Latina, who's gonna talk about uh corn arepas. Mm, so um, and she's got a book that's gonna be coming out on the subject. That's great. So uh, she's will be an enthusiastic authority on the subject. On Former Wolf on Food and Wine on WIPR.
Welcome back to Foreman the Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And today, as promised, uh, we've got Irena Stein, mm-hmm. who has an excellent restaurant in the area, a Venezuelan restaurant, maybe the only Venezuelan restaurant, called Alma Cocina Latina. Uh, had a super dinner there recently. Oh, nice. And uh, she's also, I know, been working on a book on arepas. And as we've been talking about corn and how corn makes us all happy... I've had arepas, and they make me happy. Me too. So I immediately Love thought them. of Irena. And Irena, how of are course. you? Hi, buenos dias. How are you? Buenos dias. Really well. Thank you for being here. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for calling. Mm-hmm. So Really, it's an exciting topic for me, of course. It's a, at the core of my life right now. <laughs> that, that, that's a big deal. Um, so, so please describe the core of your life then. <laughs> what, what, for the world that does not know what an arepa is... Maybe talk about what an arepa is, its origin, and, and how they're made. Okay. So uh, the, the arepa currently, since the 50s uh, in Venezuela, is uh, a round disc made out of um, pre-cooked cornmeal, water, and salt. These are the three ingredients that go into making an arepa. Until, you know, and then you, you make the dough, you form the arepa into this round disc, you you have many ways of uh, eating it. You can fry them, but what we do often is put them on a grill on each side for a few minutes until uh, you know it starts cooking, like five, six minutes each side, and then put them in a very hot oven until they puff up a little bit and become very crispy. Then you open them, remove a little bit of the soft dough inside, and stuff them with whatever you want. Oh. Traditional recipes uh, of Venezuela, but also... The arepa lends itself uh, for any kind of food, any kind of culture, because it's a very neutral uh, flavor. Um, And so it's just a really wonderful uh, addition to anything, including all the leftovers in your refrigerator, Mm -hmm. you know, the next thing that you (laughs) want to get rid of, which is really wonderful. Mm -hmm. And and the arepas have existed in, um, in that region of South America, Colombia and Venezuela for thousands of years. And so... Um, it's a, it's a very symbolic uh, piece for uh, Venezuelan gastronomy. Um, I, I, I do want to say that uh, it is so that when the, the colonial people come in, the Spaniards come in, they bring wheat with them from Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they teach their uh, staff, uh, slaves and other at the time, uh, to make bread. But the the local people, the local Venezuelans at the time, uh, they were making arepas. And suddenly you see, during the time of independence, at the center of the table, uh, the bread made with wheat brought in from Europe and the existence of the arepas, the presence of the arepas at the table. And that is very, very symbolic of the independence of Venezuela. Hmm. When, when the Spaniards that come in and stay for this independence, then they adopt the arepa as a center, as a bread, as their daily bread. And that's a beautiful story. <laughs> so for you, is there like a childhood arepa recipe that is your your thing, the thing that, you know, you first recall that was in your house or that you went out to have in particular? Well, the, I want to mention common arepa in all of Venezuela is the arepa with cheese. <laughs> and it's just so very simple. 
Um, it, it, our cheeses in Venezuela are all, all uh, white cheeses from hard to very soft, almost resembling like uh, uh, like the mozzarella, resembling in, in the texture. And uh, every child in Venezuela goes has, has breakfast or so goes to school with an arepa <laughs> with cheese. And <laughs> it's also a representative of... Um, you know, the, the lack of abundance for a lot of people, uh, you always can make cheese and eat. And you don't have to put any, you know, any other ingredients such as chicken, beef, etc. So it's a very, very easy arepa and loved by everyone. It continues to be, to be my favorite, believe it or not. But uh, it, is, it is connected to all our childhoods. And I think that's why it's everybody's arepa. It's the simplest arepa to go. So... I, and then the rest of the arepas, there's some traditional uh, arepas that you'll see in the book that is coming out now in June uh, that are mixed with uh, other ingredients from other continents that, uh, you know, again, talk about the versatility of uh, such a wonderful corn disc. How about what are one more very popular preparation for arepas and then one exotic one that you put into your book? <laughs> okay. So uh, one of the popular arepas... Um, is uh, the pavillon arepa. The pavillon is the national dish that we have that originates, again, from, I think, 18th century. So it has, um, uh, the the national dish has black beans, white rice, fried plantains, and shredded meat, Uh, shredded beef. Uh, Beef was a very big thing, also since the arrival of the Spaniards in Venezuela, and uh, they, they created this breed that is very resistant to the tropics. So, um, there was an abundance of meat everywhere. However, you can have it in a vegetarian form or you can have it with the shredded meat. And so uh, you, and it's a very, very popular dish. So you can basically um, put layers of these things. So you do a layer of, well, cilantro or cilantro mojo. You do a layer of plantain, then black bean, always cheese because Venezuelans are obsessed with cheese, those white cheeses that I was telling you about. And then if you wish not to be vegetarian, you put the, the, the beef, that shredded beef um, that is so delicious with tomato base, kind of a stew, and uh, it's, it's really great. That's one of them. We have done also in the book uh, to show the versatility. Uh, we've done one for each continent. We, we did one with Middle East, no, actually two uh, Middle Eastern flavors, one Korean, and the Korean is amazing. <laughs> it has pork belly, and it has a kimchi, and, and all these things. And, it, you know, it just not only melts in your mouth, you make a mess when you eat it, which is <laughs> part of the experience of eating an arepa. Part, you part, part of the joy, it. huh? <laughs> I'm sorry? Part of the joy. Part of the joy. Make, making the mess. It's just juicy and messy, <laughs> and so therefore it's very sensual, and it's all fine. You don't have to eat it with your fork and knife. You just eat it like a sandwich, you know, in your mouth. Is it, with, say with the cheese arepas, is, is there a sauce that you like to serve with it, or, or that's not necessary because of what you just described? Well, with the cheese arepa, and normally it just goes with butter. You just do butter and the cheese. Now, you can add anything you want. Again, you can add from that base, you can add uh, avocado, uh, tomato, lettuce, avocado, but the sauce, any hot sauce, any cilantro sauce, um, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It, it's just really, really delicious. But no, it's very plain. Mm-hmm. Okay. The traditional arepas, how spicy are the preparations usually? I think people are not always familiar with heat or lack thereof in different kinds of cuisine from... Um, the Hispanic world? 
Well, uh, some of the countries uh, use a lot of spice, like Central America. Venezuelans use a pepper, a dulce that is very, very uh, gentle, very almost sweet. It's called ají dulce, so it's like sweet pepper with a tad of a little heat in it, but not very much. So um, you'll see in the sauces of the uh, actually that we mentioned on the book, uh, one is based with cilantro, another one based uh, with this ají dulce, the the sweet red pepper. Um, generally very soft in the in the heat for Venezuelans. Actually, when our Venezuelan chefs arrive from Venezuela, generally they are adverse to hot sauces. A month later, they're addicted. And so it transforms <laughs> a little bit of what, you know, how we do things. <laughs> so. Why the change, do you think? Uh, because cover it. Because in our country, we, we do have a couple of sauces that are just slightly hot, but I think the impact and the influence and the presence of so much, uh, so many sauces that are because of the influence of Asia here, the sriracha or or the hot sauces with hot peppers from Mexico, I think that their presence is so strong that you begin to get accustomed to it, and uh, mm-hmm. and then you like actually what it does in your mouth. So yeah, I uh, think that that's he- why, and, and, and just, yeah, it's around us, everywhere. The heat is interesting that way. You- it, at first, it's you're offended, and then <laughs> it becomes addicting. You, then you begin to miss it, <laughs> right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, the one that that generally is, I think, the most uh, striking for any Venezuelan, the Sichuan pepper, mm. has a presence of. I mean, that is just an explosion in your mouth, and it stays present for a long time. It doesn't just, just go away. Mm. <laughs> no, it does not go away. <laughs> it, it it does not go away. But, are repas ever used, uh, or that type of preparation ever used as part of a sweet dish or dessert? Yes, actually, and we have it. Um, we have it in um, in the book. We don't serve it right now. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to do a little segment on the situation with arepas and alma. People are very upset that we don't have alma. Uh, I mean, arepas at alma right now, just because it's a whole segment of food and. We tend to do very complex, um, uh, you know, things that you put inside. Sorry, I can't find the word. Anyway, inside the arepa. Um, and, uh, and so people have been very frustrated right now, but we don't have enough staff to do the whole thing of an arepa section and the rest of the menu. But we did want to say that we're going to op- open an arepa bar next Oh, that's week, great. Around September. It's going to be called Candela. And, uh, and it should have like a dozen uh, arepa fillings, and you can just, you know, go at it <laughs> whichever way you want. And I think, and that's going to be in Station North, so I think it's going to be a wonderful addition to the community there. Well, I so. think that, that there's something of a divide in arepa is a comfort food, a street food, an everyday thing. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Alma, you're serving pretty elaborated cooking. Yes, and then the, so the arepa also the arepas that we've been serving are also very elaborate, and that's why it just became impossible with uh, the 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 sta- uh, size of the staff, you know, at uh, at Alma right now. But it's soon going to be solved, <laughs> Good. and we'll have very simple ones, and we have very complex ones, so it'll be for all tastes. And, uh, and I, I really look forward to this. That's exciting. I, I can't wait to come and visit. So, because everything. because I'm the kid with a sweet tooth, I want to take you back to that. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. 
<laughs> generally, so there there are a couple uh, recipes in the book. One of them uh, is about coconut fritters. So you use the dough, the same dough that you make the arepas with. You make little round balls, but you add coconut to the dough. And you add also a little melao, which is a, a, um, a raw uh, a raw sugar cane um, syrup that is made with uh, spices such as cinnamon and star anise and cloves. And so it, it's just really delicious. We do a lot of sweet and savory. That, sound, that sounds and amazing. It's mm-hmm. really great. And so you fry these and then you sprinkle some, again, white cheese. <laughs> Mm-hmm. On the coconut fritters and some of this melao, which this syrup is called melao, and it's um, really, really a terrific, uh, terrific thing. I, I did want to mention the sweet and sour uh, element because uh, Venezuelan gastronomy has a lot of that, and I think that this comes from the fact that the Moors lived in Spain for so long, and when they came to Spain, they brought this sweet and savory. By using uh, by using a lot of dried fruit and nuts into their uh, into their cooking, so you see that so the Spaniards adopt that kind of cuisine, bring it to Venezuela, and that and that creates this tradition that is really great about sweet and sour. So uh, I did want to mention that you'll see oftentimes like the presence of the plantain in the dish, for example. <laughs> in a savory dish, complete savory dish, or or making uh, you know a lasagna with a cheese, sweet plantain, and uh, and uh, fish, fish, for example. Um, so there's always this presence. Very interesting. So I personally love when there's always something sweet in the in the dish because of the upbringing, because it brings me back to my grandmother or That's to nice. all our grandmothers actually. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> That's amazing stuff. <laughs> you get you got me with the the, uh, the the sweet corn and the coconut. I'm just trying uh, to think yeah, of what to make it together. Th- trying to think of what uh, you know, just the idea of those flavors together. Ah, oh, no, no, no! It's uh, it's really wonderful. There, there's another one that is made with um, a little anise seed inside, and that is sweet. And you you deep fry this little arepa, and it puffs up. And and again, you serve it in a sweet and savory form. Also, you can have the presence of melao, and you can use it as a dessert. Yes, and there's some people that are doing all kinds of things with chocolate and all that. But that's another story. It's not there yet. Irene, if you if you were going to fry an arepa, what would you fry it in? Would you use oh in a fryer or or you know in a in a pot that has enough uh, oil to contain to deep. How do you say? You know, you have to. Mm-hmm. What what kind of oil do you like to use? Oh, generally a vegetable oil. So you can do canola, you can do sunflower, sunflower, all those. Okay. Definitely okay. something yeah. neutral. Yeah. It's something very neutral. Yeah. Right. So Good. it changes Good. the flavor completely. Yeah. Last question Correct. before we yeah. before before we get done on the segment. Um, your book. What is the timeline for it? Because I know people oh, will be interested in. Oh, thank you. Thank you for asking. So it's already on pre-order. It's called Arepa. Uh, and it's called, um, you know, Classic and Contemporary Recipes of Venezuela's Daily Bread. It's uh, in Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Simon & Schuster, etc. And it comes out June 15th. So we're going to have to celebrate big time. That's, That's great. great. Congratulations. So, That's amazing. Yeah. Good for you. So, and no, it's great. It's dedicated to the 7 million people that uh, have left Venezuela in the last 10 years. Uh, Venezuelans are not people that generally leave their country because the country is so magnificent, but due to the horrendous circumstances that 
are now in Venezuela and have destroyed so much of the country, uh, has forced people to leave. And so it, the book is dedicated to them. And, and the reason why I do the book of Arepa is because uh, as the taco leaves Mexico for work, you know, for work circumstances and comes to, to the United States, Arepa now has gone all over the world with these 7 million migrants that make arepas and share them with their friends. So we have, you know, the birth of a lot of arepa bars, Venezuelan restaurants that were not existent 10 years ago. You know, we had very few in the world. Now they're expanding because of this necessity. So I did want to say that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm glad it's important that you said that. We're excited about the book coming out on so. June 15th. Yes. Arepa is the name of the book. Arepa. And uh, Irena Stein, thanks for coming on with us. Nice to talk with you. Oh, thanks so thank much you. for spending time with us. And really, thank you so much for your interest. Of and course. have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. You too. Ciao. 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 When we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, it's more corn on WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're talking about corn today. We spent some time on some simple recipes, and we spent a little bit of time on fancier ones. Mm-hmm. We had a nice break with Irena talking about great. arepas. I'm happy for her. The origin and the book that she has coming yeah, out. Yeah, that's exciting. She has a cookbook coming out. Yeah. It's a dream come true to me. That's, that's great stuff. That's great. Well, and that, that speaks to like how much that the arepa just as a popular food form has, has yes. been growing. It's amazing. Um, I want to talk about the most immediate, popular, every child is really happy about it, food form from corn, cornbread. Ah, mm. That's One my, of my favorite topics. <laughs> my five-year-old wants to know, you know, she's very, she's, her sister is pretty adventurous eater. My five-year-old is pretty fussy, okay. but mm-hmm. she wants to know next time she's coming to Charleston so she can eat cornbread. Oh, all right. So so maybe talk about different kinds of cornbread because, that's. I mean, I know what I grew up with, <laughs> yeah, it's a which was pretty country, mm-hmm. and and you make a pretty refined, lovely cornbread. It's, it's, a, it's a very personal thing. I mean, down to each family has their own opinion. I, I remember when I started researching... Uh, to make the to come up with the cornbread recipe for uh, Georgia Brown in D.C. when we opened it, and um, oh my goodness, I did a tremendous amount of research. And w- when I started developing the recipe, you know, people would say, "Oh, that's not sweet enough," or "That's too sweet." There shouldn't be any sugar in it. It's very personal. There are a lot of opinions about cornbread, so therefore, make it however you want it to be. Um, I like a little sugar in. Uh, so ours is made with a very particular cornmeal, which is a fine grind. And I can only buy it from one purveyor, and dear God, they better not ever go out of business. And um, Who's that purveyor? I'm not going to say. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> normally Top I give secret. those things away, but I'm not telling Top this secret. one. <laughs> and I use uh, really good buttermilk, obviously, uh, sugar, corn oil, and eggs. And that, and that's it. A, a tiny bit of salt, um, but yeah, that's that's it. But it, it is the grind of the cornmeal that's important. So you want to find something, you know, like for example, 
I buy, uh, you know, we buy our stone ground grits and our, our uh, polenta from Anson Mill in uh, just outside of Charleston, South Carolina. And they have cornmeal, too. And, I mean, if I was going to start, if I'd never made cornbread, I would buy my cornmeal from them. And, um, yeah, so it's all – and because that's also going to be freshly ground. That's a huge difference. You know, you go into a grocery and you're not sure how long that bag of cornmeal has been sitting there on the shelf, um, unless it has a date on it, of course. And um, – yeah, but just all fresh ingredients, great eggs. It helps if you have some farm fresh eggs or a very high quality egg. I mean, every 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 aspect of every food item that you make needs to be the best quality you can buy and afford. That's what that's what makes food great. I mean, it it comes down to do you go crazy? No. I mean, you know, if I'm using wine, I'm not using some great Chateau Neuf de Pop or something, but I am using a good wine, a good red, a good white. If you're using it, you're using it for you. Yeah. Yeah, with cornmeal. And I mean, we've had, you know, Charleston's been open 25 years. I have the same cornbread pans from opening because they're cast iron and they will be there for another 100 years. That, that That's all there is to it. So that's the other thing, you know, invest in a, a well-made and, you know, for the life of me, I, I think- Well, cast iron, you got to take care of. Yes. Well, and that's the thing. It's a process. And honestly, that's the worst part of making cornbread, especially in the volume that we have to make it. So each morning, a baldo, we have this brush that I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's a pretty big hand brush um, that you might use to, I don't know, I want to say scrub the bathroom, quite frankly. But I mean, it's it's a good white brush with uh, nylon bristles. And it does a great job of getting in every little crevice because those corn uh, bread pans that we use are in the form of a corn stick. So it has a gajillion little crevices. And every single one of those, those corn bread sticks will stick to if it's not clean. So that's part of the process is brushing the pans and then making sure they're hot enough uh, before you put your batter in. And that's the whole thing. We bake it 350. And um, we do bake in a convected oven, and um, you don't have to, but that's what we do. And it usually takes about seven or eight minutes for the, the, the tray to be baked properly. And then they should, you should be able to wrap that, uh, you know, cast iron pan on your, ca- let's see, this is when it comes in handy to have stainless steel countertops. I don't know what you do at home if you have some really beautiful piece of granite. Actually, I have no idea what you do at home if you have a beautiful piece of granite on your countertop. I guess you put a couple of towels down. You take pictures. And then, <laughs> and then you replace them with stainless steel countertops or wood. Yeah, yeah. I love. Oh my gosh. And um, anyway, so yeah, you wrap that that pan on there, and they should fall right out. And then you clean them again. You put them in the oven. You get them hot, and you go to the next baking um, uh, moment of baking. So, but yeah, it's all about the quality of product. Yeah, we were talking to Irena, and I was thinking about sweet desserts. There was a corn pudding my great grandmother used to make. Mm that was unbelievable. And I had not long ago at a restaurant that does Mexican food that's really high quality. And they did um, a tamal, basically like an egg and corn um, wrapper on a sweet corn filling. Oh, boy, that sounds good. You know. Uh, What restaurant is that? Are you going to tell us? No. Darn. Okay. (laughs) That was, oh, my gosh, spectacular Oof. and so mm. naturally sweet. And yeah. ju- sweet and only I'm talking to the Speaking lady of sexy, that made it. that sounds pretty sexy. Talking to the lady that made it. <laughs> she's, she's sweetened it with honey only. Oh, nice. That's nice. Good. Yeah. I like that. She, she makes her batter. She sweetens the batter with honey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to yeah. get bees at the farm. I want to make my own honey. 
that that sounds great. But so with the you said your grandmother made a corn custard. She uh, what she called it a corn pudding. Pudding. Okay. It was kind of like a sweetened cornbread. Oh, okay. It was almost like a, sw- a sweetened spoon bread, I should say. Okay. Okay. Um, Do you know what it was in it? Well, she used king syrup. <laughs> oh yeah, of course she did. That's cool. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, it it That's was funny. it was custard base and okay. eggs and right and uh, I think a little bit of baking powder mm. and just to get some extra bounce out of it. You know, I was thinking about when we were talking about that corn flan. Um, oh, and nutmeg. Oh, oh, good. Oh yeah, nutmeg. nutmeg. How pretty! You could make a corn flan, you know, sweet. In other words, obviously that would be so good. I was thinking about that. Maybe I'll make some when I go back to the kitchen today. You know, make a creme, creme caramel, basically, or what we call a flan, uh, with the caramelized sugar in the bottom and bake it. I might make that. That sounds really good. So that's my my nine-year-old, because she loves corn also. We're talking about last summer, like long drive in the car to the beach, right? So what do you do? Well, if, if I'm your dad, you, you start to make up food, <laughs> right? So everyone else is asleep. And so Aww. I'm like, Del, so... Dessert. You know, we never talk about making dessert. What do you want to make? It's like, Dad, I want warm, sweet corn waffles. Oh, all right. Mm. I want coffee ice cream. Oh, no way. She yeah. did not say coffee ice yeah. cream. Yeah, that's yeah, cute. Yeah. All right. I love coffee ice cream. I'm just thinking, man. Oh, that's funny. You're talking about like dessert of the <laughs> Americas. Look at that. Right? <laughs> wow. Cool. That, like, mm, they got to figure out a way to. Mm. To to do something along those lines, maybe. Uh, huh. it's, I I mentioned it to our our exact pastry chef that handles five places. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, she's brilliant. Oh, tell her I needed to come in and help me with the cookie of the month again. <clears throat> that's nice. You know, one of the other things that's fun to make uh, is corn relish. You know, you can do use that on so mm. many different things, and. Uh, you know, we, we make empanadas, so we make the Argentine, uh, you know, sort of version of a crepas, but it's they're made with flour, of course. And um, I love corn relish with that, you know, just a little bit of finely chopped green onion, uh, a neutral oil, tiny bit of neutral oil, like corn oil is good, or canola, salt, pepper, a little bit of jalapeno, and um, cilantro. And uh, I just, you know, but there's so many things. And also that the, a corn relish would be so good with our Maryland crab cakes. I love that, you know, and we put a little bit of avocado puree with that as well. So, what, what do you put in your corn relish? For for a crab cake, I want it to be extremely neutral um, because I think crab is one crab of the most so delicate. delicate of yeah. yes. So, um, I put a little bit of uh, of um, chives. I don't use the green onion. I use chive, which seems finer, and a fine bit of ch- shallot, a fine chop of su- celery, and um, yeah, and corn oil, salt, and pepper, and that's all, really all you need. If I want heat in there, I could put a couple drops of Tabasco in just to introduce a little bit of that tone, but I wouldn't put jalapenos with the crab cake in that in that case. That's funny. My instinct would be to make it a little bit more vulgar than all that and have it with a, like a piece of grilled meat or mm-hmm. stronger fish, you know. No, it'd be great. That's more onion, more garlic. Garlic. Some some mm-hmm. tomato in there. Mm-hmm. Chili, chili of choice. I mean, jalapenos certainly work. Sure. Um, Pobla- well, poblanos can work really yeah, nicely. Yeah, poblanos would be great, and especially with the tomato and corn together. And you know those those things are around at the same time. So again, as we say, what gro- what grows together goes together, and that's helps you to define how to make things. You know what's what's at its best right now. That's how you make your relish. 
you know, what do you have growing in your garden out back? What's available to you? What's down at the farmer's market or down at your farmer's stand? And, you know, that's the beauty of cooking is, you know, or learning to cook and experimenting is recognizing that if it's really great and fresh, it's probably, and common sense tells you it goes together, it's probably going to be great together. And corn likes a lot of different things. So, yeah, well, you can make it, great it, relish. It is that neutral, happy company for an awful lot of other food. Mm-hmm. What else do you do, you know, thinking about corn? So we've talked about soup, we've talked about flan, arepas. Um, what else do you like to do with corn? You know, is there anything else, like a, you know, a type of thing that you think works besides a relish? Or, you know, is there something else on your mind with that? I do recall, we had a picture chef who worked with one time that was very proud to show me the corn ice cream that he had made. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> All right. And I think that that could be done well. Yeah, definitely. Um, the the version that he had made at that time was was incredibly heavy. I think he pulled all the starch out of the corn. Okay. And I think you kind of want the opposite. You want to figure out how to get the sweetness the out. The liquidy part, yeah. Yeah, the liquid, you know, the feeling of the I mean, corn. you really like juice the corn, you know. Oh, uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, that's what well, I wonder. And also it's such a so much matter there. You know, you really need to have, you know, the juice. You know, in that kind of situation, yeah. you want sort of juice or you cook the corn with the cream or milk, cream and milk or half and half, whatever, however you make your ice cream base and then really, really strain, puree and really strain it like multiple times. I've also, I've, I've used cornmeal for like quick, quick gravy <laughs> uh, for like roasted chicken. That's fun. I that's, like that That's idea. kind of an easy, or, or no, corn is an easy stuffing, you know, or, or as the, at the, as the heart of an easy stuffing. Um, but yeah, instead of adding flour, just a little bit of cornmeal to uh, to to make that gravy for you know mm-hmm. roast chicken. Well, I used to make corn and shrimp fritters when we first opened, and I mean I haven't thought about those in a long time. Those are extremely. We used to do those for hors d'oeuvres a lot for banquets, and those were extremely popular. We should re- probably revisit those because you know that's that, and that would be fun to have at dinner with a family, you know. You know, you're you're getting some corn in. You're getting the shrimp, and you don't need that much shrimp. It doesn't have to be ex- that expensive. You know, you can just chop up the shrimp and and add the corn and mix in the eggs and the cornmeal and flour and a little baking powder, baking soda, and salt and pepper, and there you go. Corn and sweet shellfish, so like good. shrimp, like lobster. Yeah, yeah. Well, corn Always and shrimp make so a well. great gumbo. So you yeah. know, that's a, one of my favorite gumbos. I just need the okra. Just need the okra. That's right. But I'm the only guy that likes. <laughs> <laughs> I can eat it when it's really fresh and it's fried. That's I really don't care yeah. for it. Sauteed. No, I like all that. Mm-hmm. I like all the gelatinous nature of it's it. It's a little weird. Yep. It's like tripe. Mm. Not my favorite. Uh, you know that's my favorite. I know. <laughs> that's Jellyfish is the only gelatinous food I've ever had that I didn't dig. Oh. <laughs> one, last, uh, one last word. A tip on wine with corn. Oh, good. Okay. If it's if it's a corn-driven dish, say it's the crab cake with uh, uh, the corn relish and avocado puree, or something like that, or or it's a you know piece of pork belly and uh, you know and corn flan or something like that. Mm-hmm. Corn comes off as sweet. It loves like the the vanilla oaky chardonnay, like West Coast chardonnay. Okay, good. It's funny. There are two things I always think of as just immediately love hmm. West Coast Chardonnay. Hmm. One is the flavor of lobster, and the other is mm. is corn for totally different reasons. Oh, lobster and the corn flan would be so great together. 
butter poached lobster, lobster tail, little medallions, a little grilled shrimp on there. Maybe we can make a little lobster burger to go inside of an arepa. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> yes. Anyway, that's <laughs> now that we're all hungry. Oh, I'm very hungry now. I love corn. Mm, yum, yum. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. If you want to download this or any other one of our other episodes, go to the WIPR webpage, WIPR.org. Look for the Formula Wolf page, and there's a whole menu of goodies there. If you want to correspond with us via email, it's formanwolf at WIPR.org. To follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. You can follow me on Instagram or Facebook as Chef Wolf. My Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. And thanks for listening. Happy Sunday.